Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. And you pray for us these next few moments and pray that God will speak to somebody's heart someone will get saved. Amen. This morning, that's our burden. And so I ask you to pray with us and for us. The Lord would have his way. Mark chapter number 11. I, I want to read a passage of scripture that has always intrigued me every time I come to it. Uh, I don't know if I've ever preached on this passage. I may have, but if I did, it wasn't too much of a sermon because I don't even remember it, so I doubt very seriously you'll re you remember it. But uh, this passage of Scripture uh, in Bible reading, it always uh, catches my attention uh, when I read it. And I pray the Lord to use it this morning and speak to our hearts. Matthew, or Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 27. And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also speak of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father... I pray this morning that you'll take the Word of God and speak to us, speak through us. I pray you'd give us liberty. I pray you'd bind the devil. I ask, Lord, this morning that you'd save sinners and have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I want to draw your attention to the last phrase in verse number 33 where Jesus said, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. You know, this is an interesting passage because uh, these scribes and these Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they ask this question uh, and Jesus gives them an answer. The Bible said in verse 33, and Jesus answering saith unto them. So he gives them an answer, but yet at the same time, he does not answer them. I want to preach this morning on this subject on when God gives no answer. When God gives no answer. You see, Jesus answered them without answering them. Only God can do that. Amen. When you come to this text, I notice in verse number 27, I notice the city. The Bible says, and they come again to Jerusalem. Now, they have come from Bethany and they have come to Jerusalem here and Jesus is coming here. It's getting closer to his hour. Uh, it's uh, when he's about to go to the cross. He's about to uh, have this mock trial a civil trial, a religious trial. He's going to be taken from Herod to Pilate, or from Pilate to Herod, and then uh, back to Pilate again. And finally, he is going to be crucified. Everything took place in this city here of Jerusalem. There is not only the city, but notice the circumstances. The Bible says in verse 27, and as he was walking in the temple. You know, this is a very interesting place uh, uh, for this confrontation and this conversation to take place. You 
you say, uh, what do you mean, preacher? Well, uh, I just lost some power, brother, if you'll turn me on right there. Uh, well, if you think about it, uh, Jesus, um, uh, he goes uh, into this uh, uh, temple here, and uh, as he goes into the temple, uh, it may have been the main box, but as he goes in the temple there, uh, he's standing before them. Now, on the outside of this temple, this court here, uh, there was multitudes of people, and Jesus is there, and uh, he is amongst those multitude of people, and the Lord used this as his place to teach. He used this as his place to, uh, to preach. This courtyard of this temple was his pulpit, and so Jesus would uh, preach there because that's where everyone is gathered, and that's the circumstances uh, uh, that are taking place here. So we see the city, and then we see the circumstances. We see the Lord uh, is uh, standing there, and then we see the crowd. Notice in verse 27 uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests uh, come before him. Now this is not any crowd, but this is a religious crowd. Uh, this is a crowd that, uh, uh, listen, that if anybody knew the word of God, this crowd knew the word of God. And they come to Jesus and they know the word of God, but they do not know the son of God. You know, this morning you can know John 3.16 and not know the son of John 3.16. Not know the savior of John 3.16. You can be like Brother Randy preached Friday night. Oh, you can be religious but yet be lost just like Simon. You can know, uh, listen, the books of, of the Bible. You can know the 12 apostles. You, you can know the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. You can know all these things about this book and still not know the author of this book. You know, it's unusual, but my burden in this revival, if it's been for lost people, it's not been for lost people out there, it's been for lost people that are in here. It's for people that, uh, that do not know Jesus Christ inside the church. I am not a preacher that causes people to, or tries to cast doubt. I don't like to recap and cause people to make uh, five or six or seven professions of faith. I think that doesn't do anything but do harm and confusion to their, their soul. But I'm not against someone making more than one profession if they have a profession without a position. Amen? And I'm afraid that we're living in a time when we have a lot of people sitting in our churches who are religious but yet they're lost. Amen? And so this crowd comes before Jesus us, uh, they're seeking an answer to a question, but God does not give them one. I wonder why Jesus did not answer their question. I want to give you three reasons in this text as to why Jesus gave them no answer. You see, this morning, you may be sitting here and you may have a lot of different questions. You may have questions in your mind about the Bible. You may have questions in your mind for God himself this morning. And let me just stop and say, God is interesting in answering us. Amen. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you're willing to come, he's willing to save you. I do not believe that someone could come to this altar and want to be saved and God not save them. You say, well, Brother Gravely, what about reprobates? What about people that have crossed God's deadline? A good way to know when somebody's crossed that deadline, they no longer want to be saved. You can witness to a reprobate, friend, but you're casting your pearls before the swine. They have no interest in God because they have no conscience of God anymore. Their conscience has been seared with a hard iron. You can give them the gospel. You can tell them they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. And they'll stare you in hell and the devil right in the face and not fear one second. 
about that. You know, I read a, I read a little book the other day about, um, about the, uh, 20, uh, the top, 20 top 20 billionaires who died in 2020. I thought if I read that book, it might make me a little richer, you know. The top 20, not all the billionaires that died in 2020, but the top 20. One man that died, uh, he had 23, died. His net worth was $23 billion when he died. Another man's net worth was, was $5.4 billion. And it ranged pretty much anywhere from $2.3 billion to about $7.8 billion. That pretty much was their net worth of those that died last year. But one of those men, their testimony really caught my attention because he spoke to a group of students at Boston University and he had so much wealth that he told them, he said, I'm in control in this life. And I'll be in control in the next life. You know, money will make a fool out of people if they'll let it. There's nothing wrong with having money, but the only security that money really gives is a false security, amen? Because it is certain we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we brought nothing out. If you go back and look in the book of Luke, Jesus gave the parable of the rich man that had his barns and he tore those barns down. He said, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. And then you think about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He came to the right place. He came to the right person. The Lord Jesus Christ even came for the right purpose, eternal life, but he left lost without God because he loved his riches uh, more than redemption. Amen? You think about uh, uh, you think about the man in Luke chapter 16, uh, uh, that rich man in Luke 16 in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments, uh, and it almost seems like a rich man cannot even get saved, but in Luke chapter 19, there's a man by the name of Zacchaeus, the Bible said he was a publican and he was rich. Amen? And when you get to the end of that story, Jesus is standing standing there at that tree and Zacchaeus has come down and Jesus has called him by name and he makes a declaration that today salvation has come to this house. Amen. I'll tell you, God will save rich folks uh, if they'll abandon their riches and turn to Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? What I'm saying is God's willing to give an answer if man is willing to repent this morning. Why would Jesus not answer this crowd? Notice number one, because of their attitude. The Bible said in verse number 28, and, and they say unto him, but what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Now I want to tell you this morning that this crowd had every right to question the authority of one who had said they were sent from God. In fact, under the law, that's what they were supposed to do. The scribes, the Pharisees, under the, the law, they were to question the authority of those that said they were sent from God uh, to declare whether or not they truly were. These men had seen the authority of Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter number seven, when Christ ended his sermon on the mount, the Bible said that he taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees, amen? They heard his authority in his message. They saw his authority in his message miracles. They, they saw the many miracles in the work of God. They seen the power of God. They stood in the presence of God. So now they have reached a place. And this is the last confrontation that Jesus is going to have to them before he go with them, before he goes to this mock trial and before he goes to Calvary. See, they knew good and well who he was. Uh, they knew good and well what he could do. Uh, they had heard his preaching. They had saw his miracles. Uh, they had heard the message uh, and they're still questioning his 
authority. Amen? They still have, have questions. Why is that? For only one reason. Their attitude is an attitude of unbelief. Amen? You see, you can grow up in a good old-fashioned church. You can tell the King James Bible all your life. You can hear the gospel preached over and over and over again. But until you come to the place when you're willing to believe the word of God, you cannot be saved. There are people that have grown up in church and heard preaching and they'll make statements like this. They'll go somewhere else or they'll get out of church as soon as they get old enough and you have somebody a witness to them and you know what they'll say? Oh, I, I know all about that and they do. Well, I can tell you all, I, I grew up in church. I heard preaching all my life. My mom and dad took me to Sunday school. They took me to church, but yet they're not saved. They're not living for God. Why is that? They question the authority. I had a man tell me one time, he said, well, I don't even know if the Bible is the word of God. You know what I did? We were talking. I was trying to witness to him. He said, I don't know if the Bible is the word of God. I said, you know what? We're done. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, I said, you'll never get saved. I said, you've got to believe that book is God's word. This morning, if you want to be saved, you've got to trust the word of God. Hey, we believe in repentance, but we also believe in faith. Isn't that right? And you cannot separate repentance and faith. Listen, they go hand in glove. Amen. At the moment of salvation, we must repent of our sins, but we must trust Christ as our Savior. We're not Catholics. Amen. You run to this altar 25 times and shed tears and mean every bit of it. But it's not your repentance alone that's going to save you. It's repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough works. It's not tears on an altar that's saves you. It's not the altar that saves you. It's not your words that saves you. It's that moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, I cannot be good enough. I cannot do good enough. I cannot save myself. Oh, God save me. When you look up, he looks down and he'll save your soul. Amen. But your attitude has to be a humble attitude. God don't owe you salvation because you've been in church. God don't owe you salvation because your mom and daddy's saved. He don't owe you salvation because you've been born in America. God can very easily let you go to hell on the front row of a church pew as well as he could on the front, on a bar stool somewhere. I'm telling you, friend, this morning, until you get to the place that you realize that God don't need you and God don't need me, but we sure do need him, you'll never get saved. You gotta come with nothing in your hand. You gotta come with no titles and no accolades. You gotta come with no prestige. You gotta come humble. You gotta come before God realizing I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to die without God. It's his mercy. It's his grace that they sung about that he'd even look my way. And if you get that kind of attitude, he'll save your soul, amen. But until you change your attitude, you'll get no answer. I have seen people come to the altar and pray and I've seen them come with the wrong attitude. I can tell you the times I begin to think about it this morning. I've seen people come to the altar and they prayed a self-righteous prayer. You say, well, preacher, nobody do that. Oh, just come down here sometime. They'll pray as if some way that they're, that they're trying to bring up some of their goodness. And, and Lord, I, I know that I, I've not always done everything right, but Lord, and I know that that very moment, that's a vain prayer. 
God don't save like that. As long as you're holding on to something, God ain't going to save you. You got to get to the place where you let go of your Sunday school attendance. You let go. Well, well, I go to Christian school. Big deal. Have anything to do with going to heaven? Well, well, you know, all I've ever known is church. That's wonderful, but it don't have anything to do with you being saved. This morning, what's your attitude toward God? Well, preacher, I, I'm angry toward God. I don't, I don't like the way things have turned out. I want to tell you something this morning. Friend. It's a dangerous thing to be angry at God. Well, God save an angry person if they'll repent, sure he will. But if you let that anger build and you, you get angry toward God, you, you blame God, you shake your fist in the face of a thrice holy God. Uh, listen, he could snuff you out, send you out into a hell for all eternity, friend. Uh, I'm telling you this morning, uh, our attitude has everything to do whether or not God responds to us. Uh, we must have the right response to him. Uh, you can't come with pride in your heart. Uh, you gotta come, listen, as humble before God uh, as you know how. Uh, and if you'll humble yourself, God, God will do business with you this morning. I want to say he didn't answer them because of their attitude. Secondly, he didn't answer them because of their agenda. Look what they said in verse 29. And Jesus answering said unto them, I will also ask of you one question. And answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? Answer me. What Jesus is doing in this question is three things. Number one, he's rebuking them. Number two, he's revealing them. And number three, he's trying to redeem them. He's trying to bring them to the place where they'll just get honest. It's interesting that they are more concerned about uh, what is safe rather than what is right and what is true. If you notice in verse number 31, the Bible said they reason within themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, He will say, why then did ye not believe him? They were men of no faith. They had no faith in Jesus. They they trusted what they were doing. Their religious works, their system, their their, their goodness, the the praises of men. The Bible said they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. And so they were trusting in all of that. And they were men of no faith in verse number 31. And then they were men full of fear in verse 32. But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. I want to tell you this morning, if you have faith in God, you don't have to fear man. And if you don't live by faith, you will live by fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. The Bible said the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I don't know what's going to happen in this country no more than anybody else does. I, I don't know, uh, listen, how this week is going to unfold. I don't know how the next, the next week's going to unfold. I don't know how 2021 is going to unfold. But I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Listen, I'm not worried about tomorrow, for I know who holds tomorrow. There's peace, amen, And if the trumpet sounds this afternoon, hallelujah, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's say goodbye. Let's let them have this mess. Amen. They can have it in seven years of tribulation and we'll be back in seven years and for 1,000 glorious years, thank God, I know where I'll be when I come back to this earth. I know who's gonna be in charge. I know who's gonna be running this thing. Thank God there's peace. There's joy. There's happiness. There's hope. There's tranquility. There's stability in knowing Christ this morning. I have my answer for tomorrow. It's Jesus. The world's not coming to an end. The world's coming to Jesus Christ, friend. I want to ask you this morning, 
What's your agenda? You see, the Lord knows every heart in here, including my own. He knew their motive. He knew their mindset. He knew that these were men that was more fearful of man than they were of God. The Bible said the fear of man is a snare. The Word of God said in Hebrews 10 and verse number 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I want to tell you this morning, if you're not saved, you need to get saved this morning. You say, well, preacher, we're having revival. Maybe I'll get saved one day of this revival meeting. There may not be a tomorrow, friend. Proverbs 27, 1 said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know if you'll ever see another sunrise. I don't know if I'll ever see another sunrise down here, but I will see the sunrise, amen, in the morning. I want to tell you the sun is coming up in the morning, and we shall rise. Hallelujah, we shall rise. We're getting out of this old world. I got the rapture more on my mind in these last few days than I've ever had all my life. Jesus is coming soon, seems more real now than it ever has been. And I think we're all praying with the Apostle John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, friend, listen, it's now or never. It's heaven or hell. It's turn or burn. If you're gonna get in, you better get in now is the time. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Get in while you can, amen. What's your agenda this morning? Well, Brother Gravely, I just, you know, when you get through preaching, I'm going down to wherever and I'm going to get something to eat and I, I got things I'm going to do this afternoon and, and if everything works out, I, I may be back tonight. You better have a bigger agenda than that, friend. What's your agenda for eternity? Did you ever think we would be standing where we're standing at today as a nation? Did you ever think, man, I, I grew up in probably the greatest decade of all, the 80s. Somebody say amen. Somebody said, what's so great about the 80s? Everything. Just about it. I mean, the day of BMXs for boys. Amen. The day of no helmets and no seat belts. Somebody say amen right there. That's right. A helmet for a bicycle. Who's ever heard of that? Come on. Now, I may buy my grandchildren one. I don't know. <laughs> roller skate. And people are like, you better get a helmet. They got roller. I mean, who needs a helmet for roller skates? When I was a kid, I mean, everybody had roller skates. Nobody had helmets unless you was on a motorcycle. And some didn't have them then. Tonka trucks. Come on now. Amen. That's right. I mean, so many great things about the 80s. I know those are carnal, but they're just coming to my mind right now. I mean, it was just a time, you know, when, when things were more simpler. Everybody believed in an American flag. I remember, I remember riding the bus and seeing... Seeing boys driving in the high school. We went through the high school. I was in elementary, then middle school. But I remember seeing them coming through. And boys, they got pickup trucks. Amen. That's what boys drove was pickup trucks. They didn't drive bugs. <laughs> Amen. When things come out, my wife said, I kind of like them. I said, I'll never ride in one with you if you get one. <laughs> Might ride in one, but I wouldn't, it'd be against my will. <laughs> 
Boys didn't, you know, they didn't drive little compact cars. If you got one, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying they drove trucks. Half of them didn't run, but they drove them when they did. And they put a 12-gauge shotgun in the back of them. And they never had school shootings. And teachers carried paddles in their back pocket with students' names written all over them. That's right. And the most common saying in any classroom was your name called out in the hall. Y'all remember that? They'd march you out in the hall and they'd make you put your hands up against the cinder block wall like you'd committed a crime and you're fixing to go to jail, you know. And they'd grab your belt loop and they'd take a paddle about that thick, amen, with holes bored in it and they'd rear back and I mean, they'd light your world up. Amen. And daddies carried belts and mamas carried hickories. And everybody toted guns and everybody toted Bibles and they believed in America. And they stood for the American flag. Amen. They stood for what was right. That's right. And nobody tried to be politically correct about anything. Kids weren't taking pills every five minutes. No. When you have paddles, you don't need pills. That's right. It's cheaper too. Stop buying prescriptions for your children and go buy you a paddle or make you one. I got whipped with everything. Rubber water hose. You think I'm joking, don't you? Flip-flops. My mother never wore high heels, but she kept a pair just to whip us with. We never thought we was abused. We thought we were loved. We're taught to respect authority. Teachers, police officers, preachers, Sunday school teachers, adults, anybody older than you was your authority. And seeing that I was four years older than my brother, I constantly reminded him of that. When they were gone, I was in charge. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, I was in charge. (laughs) We live in a different day, don't we? Kids didn't play video games. They played outside. They got granny beads under their neck and their armpits. And they played from daylight till dark. And the common saying of any parent was, if you come in, you have to stay in. Isn't that right? And everybody was skinny back then. It's getting tighter as we go, I know. Things were plain and simple. Preachers weren't interested in showing you how much they knew. They were interested in showing you how much they cared. And they may have preached with intellect and they may not, but I'll tell you what most of them did preach with. They preached with a burden. And they warned people that there is a heaven to gain, but there is a hell to shun. They wasn't worried about a paycheck. They wasn't worried about their name or on a sign or their face on a poster or how many people was on the board on Sunday. But they preached like a dying man to dying people and God moved. And I know this nation wasn't perfect and I know things weren't right and neither was the church. But thank God I remember as a teenage boy going and hearing men of God get up and they preached and they pulled the hammer back and you heard preaching on sin and you got under conviction. Whether you 
you're saved or lost, you got under conviction friend, uh, about something, amen? Uh, and the altar filled up and uh, for the most part, nobody got mad. Most people tried to get right, amen? Uh, and they went home and slept like a baby and didn't worry about what everybody thought about it, amen? Uh, and people heard from God, amen? You don't know why we're living in in a world uh, that can't hear anything. They're so busy. They're so distracted. Uh, There's so many gadgets and there's so many things uh, that the devil's using in these last days uh, to try to stop up people's ears uh, where they can't hear the voice of God. Amen. And we're preaching to, uh, and I'm not saying this about this congregation, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying when I make this statement. We're preaching to a demonic generation for the most part that when you preach and pour your soul out, used to, they'd raise their hand and come weeping down the aisle. Now they can stand there, draw their neck, and they can stiffen their jaw, and they can wait through the invitation and leave without being touched. I want to tell you this morning, if the Holy Ghost, you hear me, I may not even finish my sermon, but if the Holy Ghost comes by your pew, knocks on your heart and says you're lost. You ought to thank God this morning. You got an answer. And I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to respond to that answer. You ought to get up out of your seat and agree with God against yourself and come down that aisle and say, God, you told me I was lost and I know I'm lost and I'm agreeing with you that I'm lost, but I don't want to be lost. Uh, will you save me, Jesus? And I'll tell you, it's just that simple. If you'll look up, he'll look down and he'll save you right out of your sin. Uh, but you can't come, listen, with mama on your coattail and daddy on your coattail. Uh, you can't come riding the preacher's coattail. Uh, you got to come by yourself, for yourself, uh, and meet God this this morning, amen. I want to say when God don't answer is because of their agenda. You can't come out of here. You can't come down here to get somebody off your back. You can't come down here because everybody wants you to. And that's you can't come down here to get out of trouble. You got to come this morning because you want to be saved. I close with this. Why did Jesus give them no answer to their question? because of their agenda, because of their attitude, and then because of their answer. Look what the Bible said in verse 33. And they answered and said unto him, We cannot tell. You know, it's not true. It's not that they cannot tell. It's that they will not tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see this morning, if you won't respond to God, He's not going to respond to you. Jesus knew good and well their hearts, and he knows your heart this morning. Look up here, sinner. If you want to sit in that pew in your religion and go to hell, God will let you. He'll let you. If that's what you want to do, if you want to hold on to your title, your little trophy, you want to hold on to mom and dad's coattail, your husband or your wife's go, well, I'm a, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Well, I, 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 well I'm, you know, I sing in the choir. If that's what you want to hold on to, that's your response this morning. You can hold on to it and go to hell. Hell is full of Sunday school teachers. And I'm not doubting our Sunday school teachers this morning. 
Hell is full of people that sing in the choir. Hell's, there's just as many people in hell that sit in churches and synagogues as there is people that sit in bars. Hell's full of religious people. I want to tell you this morning, I have nothing to claim but Jesus. Being a preacher don't save me. Being in church don't save me. When I stand before God one day, there's not a thing that I've done that would ever get me inside the gate. The only thing I can claim is the blood. I claim Jesus this morning. I claim the old rugged cross. I claim the shed blood of Calvary. I claim the mercy and the grace of God. Look down to where I was one day and saw me a sinner when I couldn't see myself. I was so blind. Oh, but God came to where I was when I could not get to him. Oh, bless the day. Hallelujah. He came to me. Amen. I couldn't get out, but he came in. He picked me up and I just claim him. I claim him. I claim him. I claim Jesus. I claim the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. Woo! I want to tell you, he's enough, friend. If you're here this morning and you got any doubts, I'll tell you what to do. I Just push it all aside and say, I claim Jesus. Amen. I don't claim when I prayed. And I think you got to. I made a profession at 10, a profession at 13, another profession at 13, and then at 15, I went to the altar. I didn't make a profession, but I said, God, I, I give you everything here. You say, where'd you get saved? I think I might know. But that's four professions, Brother David. I think it was... When I was 13. Now that scares some of y'all to death, but it don't shake me one bit. I'm not keeping a record, friend. I know whom I have believed in. I struggled with that for about two years. Was it here? Was it here? Was it here? Or was it here? I struggled with that. I said, Lord, I think it was right here because that's where I remember the most. The devil would come by sometime and say, well, how do you know? And I was praying about that one day and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He said, son, why are you worried about that? Do you know you're saved? And something in my heart said, yes, Lord. You know you're born again? He said, I'll keep that record. And he said, can't you look around and see today that you're saved? And I can't. I know whom I have believed in. He walks with me and talks with me. Somebody says, well, I know the date and I know the time. I know the date and that's wonderful. I don't know the date. A man went to C.I. Schofield one time and said he didn't know, or excuse me, it was C.I. Schofield went to F.B. Meyer. 
and said he, maybe I've got that right. Maybe F.B. Meyer told the story about, see, there's one of them out there. I think that might be how it was. F.B. Meyer told the story of a man who went to C.I. Schofield and said he knew he was saved, but he didn't know exactly the place, exactly where it was at. And C.I. Schofield said to him, he said, that's, don't worry about that. He said, you know you're saved? He said, I know I'm saved. Schofield said, well, I knew a man that didn't know his birth date, but he knew he was born. I'm going to tell you, if you're born again, you will know that. You will know that. Oh, the devil may try to get you to doubt, and the devil may try to tell you a lot of things, but if you're born again, you'll know that. The Holy Spirit will show you that. And if you're lost, they can't a thousand preachers tell you you're saved. I preached a funeral here one time of a lady who came to our church for a while. Some of you would remember her. She got cancer. She died about 33 years of age. Kim Simcox. And in that funeral that day, the Lord saved six people that day. And right over here, there was a young lady. I remember standing right here. And right over here, there was a young lady. And she was weeping and crying. And she was praying. And she was talking to a couple people. There was a preacher on one side of her. And there was a, another lady on the other side of her. And they were trying to tell her she was already saved. And she was telling both of them, she said, I'm lost. And I heard that preacher. He said, you got saved at Bible school. You're saved. I would never tell anybody they're saved. He said, you're saved. And, and that other lady said, well, you, you, you're, you're, you just have doubts. She said, no, I'm telling you, I'm lost. I need to be saved. I like, oh, no, you're, you're. And I didn't want to be rude, but I just stood right over there. And I said, I said to her, I said, young lady, I said, do you know you're lost? And she said, I know I'm lost. I said, if you'll call on the Lord, he'll save you right now. I'm going to tell you, she buried her head in that carpet on that third step right there and she went to calling on God and there wasn't no devils in hell. There wasn't no preachers on earth going to stop her and she got born again. Amen. Her daddy came up after church. He's a preacher. He came up to me after church. He said, I'm going to tell you something, preacher. He said, I know a lot of people think she was saved. He said, but me and her mama knew she is lost and we've been praying for her to get saved. We never told her that and she got saved. Every now and then I'll run into them over here in Fort Oglethorpe. You know what she'll say? She'll say, God, I'm still saved. I'm still saved. I'm going to tell you something. If God saves you, you'll know you're saved. Amen. You'll have peace about being saved. And if you're not saved, you know that this morning. Will God give you an answer today? He will if you'll look to him. I wonder as we stand.